IEEE-SA Voice shares insights and perspectives from the IEEE-SA community, subject matter experts, and industry leaders that are working to raise the world's standards, drive market solutions, and much more, keeping you at the forefront of technological innovation for the benefit of humanity. Welcome everyone. This is the IEEE-SA Rethink Health podcast series. I'm your host, Maria Palombini, Director of Healthcare and Life Sciences Global Practice here at the IEEE-SA. This podcast takes industry stakeholders, the technologists, researchers, clinicians, regulators, and more from around the globe to task. How can we rethink the approach to healthcare with the responsible use of new technology and applications that can afford more security, protection, and sustainable, equitable access to quality care for all individuals? You can check out our previous seasons of the podcast series at ieesa.io backslash health podcast. So as a result of the recent pandemic, the term telehealth has become a frequently used one, and it does not appear to be going away soon. The reality is, is that the way we see telehealth today will look very different tomorrow. It's manifesting in many different forms. It's more than what we commonly see as the doctor-patient exchange on an audio-video platform. It can be so much more involving with innovations in RPM, remote patient monitoring, mobile health, hospital at home, and many different areas. The telehealth experience has changed the patient's expectations on healthcare services. They are relating it more to a concierge-level online retail experience, convenient, appropriate, and personalized. And there's the growing RPM space. So many different forecasts when it comes to RPM, anywhere from U.S. $150 billion by 2028 to estimates of 40% of patients utilizing one or two of these devices at one time. But one thing is for certain, regardless if we're talking telehealth, mobilized health, RPMs, the future of delivering healthcare is not confined to a facility and will need to be patient-centered. Season four of this podcast series, Telehealth's Quantum Leap into Patient-Centered Care, talks to the innovators, winners of our IEEE-SA Telehealth Virtual Pitch Competition, the industry leaders, clinicians, and other researchers who are at the forefront of driving innovation with solutions on accessibility, human factor design, interoperability, security, inclusivity, and the other necessary ingredients to migrate healthcare to a patient-centered care system. So just a short disclaimer before we begin. IEEE does not endorse, advocate, or financially support any programs, services, technologies mentioned, or affiliated with any of the experts who have appeared in this series. And with that out of the way, it is my pleasure to welcome Ronald Pulivardi, NCCOE, for those out there, National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, Healthcare Program Manager, and Nakia Grayson, NCCOE IT Security Specialist. The NCCOE is part of the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST. Welcome, Ron and Nakia. Thank you to IEEE for inviting us to do the podcast interview. And thank you, Maria, for hosting the interview. We are so excited to be here today. I'll echo that. Thanks a lot for having us. And to the IEEE community, we appreciate the opportunity to do this podcast with you. And hopefully we'll be able to engage deeper and we can get some great learning from our conversation. Absolutely. I think for our global audience out there, this is going to be a great experience. Before we get to the core, the technology, what's going on, I like to humanize the experience for our listeners, right? We're all in a virtual world. So, Nakia, you started out in a different role while at NIST and then transitioned to an IT security manager. What inspired that change? What do you love about the work you are doing now? Before we begin, Ron and I would like to just say that opinions we're going to share in this podcast are our own and not the opinions are 
positions of NCCOE and our NIST. So to answer your question, yes, that's correct. I started off in a different role at NIST and actually in an administrative role and later transitioned into IT cyber security role in 2018. For my undergraduate studies in college, I majored in criminal justice. When I graduated, I really wanted to bridge my education and knowledge of the legal system with a career in technology, policy, and privacy. Because since I've you know, found all of those areas, I was very fond of those as a teenager. While working in a lead administrator role at NIST, I went to graduate school for information technology. And while in school, I became really interested in data protection and cyber security risk management and how both of these play a, a very important role in protecting and safeguarding the nation of a critical infrastructure and privacy and sensitive data. I really love working on this. And this gives me the opportunity to work alongside world-class talent and industry experts to tackle and solve the most complex problems in cybersecurity and privacy. Excellent. Well, Nikhil, we have a lot of common because I also did my undergraduate in criminal justice, but again, I didn't go that path either. But unbelievable opportunity to be working at the forefront on cybersecurity issues. So, Ron, how about you? I understand that you've had an exciting professional background working in organizations such as Health and Human Services, the HHS. What has been some of the most exciting areas of your work? What would you say are some of the major accomplishments you have seen during your tenure? It's quite interesting. I'm a technology nut. So one of the things that I've always actually noticed when I started HHS is I was the guy picking up the support phone. So from understanding the nuts and bolts to actually managing these ecosystems has been a, such a great opportunity. I've been able to launch myself throughout different agencies within the HHS space. I was able to contribute and strengthen the technology foundation so that we could grow. And one of the big things that I felt like I was able to provide in this space was my technology experience. I see something and I think five years to 10 years ahead on where we should actually be. And I think one of the things or opportunities that I enjoy doing was taking a look at the current snapshot on where things are and actually contribute and making a significant impact within the government space so that we can advance and we can grow and strengthen the government technology workspace and ecosystem. And I enjoy it each and every day. That's awesome. We all know that we have to love what we do. Otherwise, it really will feel like a job. And then that is not the point. All right, guys, for our audience, we got a little insight to our background and to the things that really motivate our guests today. So let's get to the core. Nakia, we hear about all kinds of risk in the remote patient monitoring ecosystem. What are some of the major risks you are seeing that can no longer go unaddressed? In simple terms, what exactly are we up against? Some of the major risks that we're seeing in the RPM ecosystem, speaking from an organizational standpoint that can no longer go undressed, is when HDOs deploy RPM solutions. These solutions are architecture that includes several components across the HDO, the telehealth platform providers, and the patient's home. So each of these environments is managed by different groups of people and often with different sets of resources and technical capabilities. So risk can cut across the architecture and different methods by which one may mitigate those risks. And it can vary based on the lexity of these. So while ACOs do not have the ability to manage and deploy privacy and cybersecurity controls, they do oftentimes retain the responsibility to ensure that the appropriate controls and risk mitigation are applied. So in simple terms, 
a lot of data that is being transmitted back and forth across various uh, platforms, which can lead to access points to cyber criminals. So we need to ensure that we have the appropriate controls in place the safeguard systems look deeper in the current infrastructure as technology advances. Ensure that we also have education training for our patients. Yes, I think that's a very important point, Nakia, because we all think that it can just be a simple apply a patch and let's move on. We really need to talk about the whole scope of what it takes in security. And that includes education patients because a lot of them might be completely oblivious to what's going on. So run. We're seeing growing trends of non-clinical, let's call them consumer-issued health IoT devices being utilized by patients they share with their health providers. With this new integration, what kind of security and privacy risks are to be considered? What are some possible solutions? Do we rely on the healthcare delivery organization, the device maker? Who needs to step up and start creating some solutions here for all this data and these devices? Very good question, Maria. One of the things that we all need to really consider and think about is that as these devices are evolving, they're constantly listening to us, right? So understanding exactly the use of it, what we're using it for, and applying that privacy and security standard on how you want to communicate outward. So understanding your surrounding is a critical aspect on that. And all of the groups need to be involved from the technology provider, from the HDO, even from the consumer. Understanding the layout as we every day rely on our technology IoT devices to turn on lights. We rely on it to turn on and adjust the thermostat. These are constantly pinging in our whole household. One of the most important pieces for our project, our remote patient monitoring project, in our Appendix E in our practice guide, we actually talk about the benefits of these IoT devices. We provide the device capability mapping, the device capabilities that support these functional evaluations. But one of the big things that we really need to factor in is what means of communication are we using this device for and what safeguards can we put in our own house with communicating, whether it's medical information, personal information, when you're talking to your bank, you have to utilize that space to ensure that if these devices are constantly listening to you, where is there the safest part in your house, that safe house, that you could actually have these communications without exploiting any information that you have as Nakia pointed out, they're bad actors every day. We're constantly fighting them. So using those steps, I think, in place to understand that there's a constant chatter that's happening in the background. Where is that safety place in your environment that you could actually utilize these devices to ensure that you're safe and you're properly communicating things without necessarily having someone intercept something in some form or fashion? And that's absolutely a great point, because I think in this world of everything smart, smart thermometer, smart this. We talk about ease and convenience and all these great things, but patient beware, right? You have to understand that all this smartness also comes with a lot of insecurity. And so same way you won't leave your front door open, we really shouldn't leave these kinds of things so open and vulnerable as well. Are you a tech startup wondering how likely telehealth is to keep its momentum in the next five to 10 years? McKinsey forecasts roughly 25% of the total cost of care for U.S. Medicare patients will shift to the home by 2025, and the remote patient monitoring market is expected to surpass $1.25 billion by 2030, according to MarketWatch. Despite how favorable the growth trends are, it's not easy to be a telehealth tech startup today. 
The IEEE SA telehealth startup community is designed for technologist entrepreneurs who have a proof of concept, prototype, or maybe an early commercialization of a technology product in the telehealth domain. The community offers tech and industry mentorship, partnership development opportunities, and the invitation to be part of a think tank to help drive trust and adoption of these technologies. Plus, you can earn credits to present demos and participate in virtual and face-to-face -face events hosted by IEEE's Healthcare Life Science Practice. If you want to join us and make this impact on the future of telehealth, you can join for free at ieesa.io backslash telehealth-startup. So Nakia, Ron sort of, he did mention the guide. So I know that you all released this Securing the Telehealth Remote Patient Monitoring Ecosystem Practice Guide. Our team, the IEEE SA Transforming the Telehealth Paradigm Group, read it once it was released. We saw there's a bunch of great diverse companies involved in helping you guys create this project. So can you share with us the supporting laboratory project around it? What was the idea? Was it tested in the lab environment to actually get to the final guide? Share with our audience the making of this guide. We get so pumped up when we have the opportunity to share our work. It's great to hear that IEEE has found our work very useful. So the use of healthcare delivery organizations, HDOs, they rely heavily on telehealth and remote patient monitoring RPM capabilities to treat patients at home. That has increased. And some of the reasons why is because RPM telehealth service is convenient and cost-effective for all parties. And that's the HDO, the telehealth provider, and patients. And one thing that we always want to share is that there are many actors in the RPM environment, and that's the ACO, the telehealth provider, and the patient. So in our practice guide, we assume that the HDO is engaged with telehealth platform provider that is a separate entity from the HDO and patient. The telehealth platform provider manages a distinct infrastructure applications instead of services. The telehealth platform provider, they will coordinate with the HDO to provision, configure, and deploy the RPM components to the patient home. Also, assure secure communication between the patient. We analyze the RPM ecosystem risk factors by applying methods to describe in our NIST risk management framework. We leverage the NIST cybersecurity framework and our NIST privacy framework and other relative standards to identify measures to safeguard the ecosystem. In collaboration with healthcare technology and telehealth partners, we built out a RPM ecosystem and a laboratory environment to explore methods to improve the cyber security of a RPM. So we brought in different technology vendors to build out this lab and our practice guide. We make a note that the application of people, process, and technology is very important in having that risk mitigation strategy. So in our practice guide, the benefits that we stress is that we want to help a organization assure the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of a RPM solution and enhancing patients' privacy and limit HTO risk when they are implementing a RPM solution. I know that the telehealth guide was really thinking about the RPM in this environment, and this is where we are right now. But we know the trend, we hear it coming about bringing hospital to the home and everybody's thinking this is the future. But how can the work of this practice guide be either applied in some form to address what we think is going to be a huge appealing cybersecurity appetite for the hospital at home concept? We're a non-regulatory agency, right? So our practice guides are free for using it as a guidance. 
for especially our targeted audience or these small and large-scale organizations. The way our practice guides are carved for folks to use, we have three different volumes in our practice guide. We have our volume A. It really talks about our executive summary of our remote patient monitoring. And then our volume B is pretty much good for the actual overall architecture. It provides our approach, the architecture, the security characteristics. And then volume C is really our how-to guide. We provide detailed instructions, how to implement our solution. One of the things you touched on that's very important is what was it back then to where we're going to now? Telehealth is going to be a very near to never going to go away type of technology. We're going to be utilizing this forever until something else new pops up. But I would highly encourage the folks to visit our website. Our website is nccoe.nist.gov. So it's nccoe.nist.gov. We have our practice guides that are there listed for folks to take a look at. Our remote patient monitoring practice guide is there. And Nikia touched on, it has valuable bits and pieces of information on the types of work that we've actually done specifically to this project. Absolutely. Actually, this podcast series, season two, was all about cybersecurity and connected health. And all of my guests from around the world really never said it outright, but every time I asked them the question, it seemed like more they were addressing the issue in the form of mitigation of risk in the connected health system. So when we talk about cybersecurity, talking more security or the mitigation of risk, the idea of a solution that someone's going to develop someday can never be breached. Is that too much pie in the sky idea? I really like this question as you know, we sometimes look at these things as being different. We believe that we're talking about the same thing, that they work in conjunction. So privacy and security work hand in hand. Cybersecurity is more focused on like, physical devices and privacy is focused more on the data. But I think we're talking about the same thing. You just really want to get to what is the best thing that we're trying to provide? Like, what are the solutions that we're trying to assure that HDOs and small companies can do? And one thing that we mentioned is our practice guide is a, a great tool to be used to improve cybersecurity and posture and potential data risk when it comes to the telehealth ecosystem. Absolutely. We didn't go too much into privacy in this conversation, but they do go hand in hand for sure. Ron, what do you envision as the next best steps in attempting to better secure and protect this RPM ecosystem? We're seeing more devices enter the healthcare sector with all these cool smart features, such as AI at the edge, that not only are going to do monitoring, but at some point they're going to make autonomous decisions without a human intermediary. So I imagine the risk level just goes up a little more in those kinds of scenarios. That is absolutely correct. One of the big and most important pieces here with the project and as we're entering in to new devices in our own home or different environments is understanding those risks with that architecture. We provide our privacy framework, cybersecurity framework, our risk management framework. There's so many opportunities of learning to understand that level of risk. And one of the other pieces here is ensuring that your HDOs, you partner with the right telehealth platform provider to extend that privacy and cybersecurity control deployment, management, and efficacy. One of the things that are out there is we're constantly evolving in technology. So you need to consider future technologies that can augment data communication safeguards. Also, Maria, I will end off on this last note, which is important. Our website, we are actually pushing more, and you touched on the word AI. We're exploring so many different capabilities that are out there within the National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence that consumes not just 
our remote patient monitoring piece, but we have different areas within our center. We have 20 active projects, for example, over at our center that we're constantly looking for collaborators in. So one of the things that when and if folks get the opportunity is, again, check our website and look underneath the security guidance tab. And you have different areas by different sectors that we are looking for collaborators in. We publish information out. We look for feedback as your comments are very valuable for us to constantly improve our information as we're rolling it out for consumption. So take a look at that underneath, again, the security guidance tab. We have different sectors that are available. And as we're evolving in different types of technologies and those areas of interest, we have our practical, usable, repeatable guides that are there and also would love feedback. So there's a community of interest distribution list under each of these sectors. Do so, register, be part of our experience to help improve our current infrastructures that exist today. Absolutely. Last season was AI for good medicine. We had so many great different use cases and ideas there. We'll make sure our guests and our audience are aware of these other opportunities at the NCTOE. You guys have shared so many great insights with us already. You know, the guide I think is awesome. I'm going to pose this question to both of you and I'll ask Nakia to go first. Any final thoughts you would like to share with our audience as it comes to developing remote care technologies under the context of patient-centered care? Any interesting upcoming projects, plans of action, things just to think about in general. What is your parting final thought, Nakia? So I would say that if you haven't already checked out uh, RPM Practice Guide uh, 1800-30, we definitely would uh, encourage everyone to read it, check it out. And if you have any project uh, ideas to contact our team, we would like to mention that where we publish our RPM practice guide, we also publish two tip sheets focused on telehealth. One is for the patient and one is for the provider. Each tip sheet includes a couple of strategies on what each can do as far as the patient, uh, the provider, to mitigate cybersecurity and privacy risks of their telehealth services. And I'll turn it over to Ron to share about upcoming projects. Thanks, Nakia. Yeah, Maria, we've had actually two great virtual workshops. We had one just recently was the virtual workshop on our smart home integration project. The turnout was phenomenal. We had a lot of speakers. We had technology providers, health delivery organizations there to contribute. We had an open panel discussion. That was wonderful. Aside from that, we also had our Exploring Solutions for Cybersecurity of Genomic Data. That was a two-day workshop we had. We provide a lot of information for individuals that are registered on our community of interest for each of our different sectors register as we have more and more virtual webinars and hopefully sooner than later, physical workshops together. We do send out communications and we post it on our website. So register for a community of interest so you'll be notified whenever we have our webinars or workshops. You will also get the opportunity to be part of our draft guidance for the public to consume and provide feedback. You'll be notified whenever we need comments. So please do so. A lot of these projects that we do here, we try to make it very informative for people out there that actually need to have some type of guidance or some type of framework. And because we're such an organization where we rely on collaboration, it's very important to get people to get involved with us. So once we're in our labs, once we're together, we can really do deep dive and really figure out where these problems reside on in which we can actually provide some type of output for a solution that folks outside of our lab can actually um, use. Absolutely. I mean, I subscribe and I get those updates as well. 
the IEEESA volunteers in various projects have responded to NIST call for feedback and that kind of thing. So for our audience, whether you're with us or you on your own, definitely we are in many ways involved in trying to help the overall global community address these big challenges that we're facing. Ron and Nakia, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. For all of you out there, if you want to learn more about all the work going on at the NCCOE at NIST, I say all roads lead to the website nccoe.nist.gov. All the information, as Ron and Akia mentioned, it's free for you guys to consume. I think it's a great resource if you're in this space, whether you're a technical, you're innovation, you're a clinician, I think it's valuable for anybody to read it. A lot of the concepts we talked about today are addressed in various activities throughout the IEEE SA's healthcare life science practice. Our practice is really engaging multidisciplinary stakeholders from around the globe who openly collaborate, they build consensus, and develop solutions in the form of open standardized means to support innovation that will address these issues of privacy, security, and equitable, sustainable access to quality care for all. Some of our programs, Transforming the Telehealth Paradigm Industry Connections Program, and WAMI, which is wearables and medical IoT interoperability intelligence, cuts to the core of a lot of the discussions we were having today. If you're interested in learning about these projects and all the other areas we're involved in, you can visit ieesa.io backslash HLS. So if you enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to share it with your peers, your colleagues, through your networks. This is the way we can get these important discussions and ideas out into the domain is by you helping us get the word out. Be sure to use the hashtag IEEEHLS or tag us on Twitter at IEEESA. Special thank you to our audience for listening in. Continue to stay safe and well. Until next time. On behalf of IEEE Standards Association and IEEE SA Voice, thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit standards.ieee.org. We hope you'll join us again soon.